But I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight, if you would please, to the book of Acts, chapter 19. And this evening is our third message answering this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, our text is from this 19th chapter, and really what we're just using this for is sort of a jumping-off place to get into the study. And in these scriptures, there were some disciples that came from Ephesus, and uh, they were in Ephesus, and they had been baptized according to John's baptism, but they hadn't yet learned that the Messiah had actually come. And since they didn't know about the death of Christ, then they wouldn't have known about that great promise that I told you about just a moment ago, that when Jesus left the world, that he would send the Holy Spirit into the world to live in us. And so when these disciples met Paul, they hadn't yet heard all about the Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit since they had believed. Now, I'm not going to read all six verses here again tonight, but I want you to just look in Acts 19 verses 1 and 2 at their question and the way that it's answered here, or Paul's question rather, and how they answered it. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. These disciples said, we have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Now, I I mentioned when we looked at the passage a couple of times before that that seems a little bit confusing to us because it's not that these disciples had never heard at all about the Holy Spirit. They did know about him because they had read Old Testament scriptures. Uh, They wouldn't have known anything about God without learning something from the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. So they were aware of his existence, but they didn't know what had happened since Jesus died. They didn't know what happened at Pentecost. Of course, they were used to reading the Old Testament and studying from there, and the Holy Spirit had not yet come in that very special way that we enjoy him today. And so that's what prompted Paul's question. Do you really understand enough to know what the Holy Spirit came into the world to do? So there was confusion with those disciples then, And we find that there is a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit today. As I mentioned last week, the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the forgotten person of the Godhead. And most people uh, say that they know something about the Holy Spirit. And many, uh, what they think they know, they don't know very well because they really don't understand who he is. And much of what they think that they understand is actually a distortion of him and his work. So what we're trying to do is to look at scripture and to set the record straight about what the Bible has to say. Uh, We don't base our knowledge of this in any of our own opinions or popular opinions, but we seek to go to the word of God. And we find here that appropriately enough that the Holy Spirit himself is the one who leads us into the knowledge of who he is. That's part of what he does. When Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come, he told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. And he's still doing that today. He's still guiding us into the truth of Scripture. Now, let me give you, first of all, the, uh, the, the first two parts of the outline that we've already covered. I'll be very brief with this. But we've already discussed that the Holy Spirit is a person. 
that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, not what many people believe and have been taught down through church history, that the Holy Spirit is just a force that emanates from God. But rather, the Scripture teaches that he is a person. He has all the characteristics of a person. He's referred to by personal pronouns. Scripture says that he has will, he has emotions, he has thoughts, he speaks, he reasons, he works, he understands. It says that he is our comforter and he's also our friend. So he's a person. We've also learned, secondly, that he is deity. The Holy Spirit is God. And he's spoken of in the same context as the Father and the Son. He's associated with the other persons of the Godhead, so he is a part of the Trinity. He possesses the incommunicable attributes of God. And as I explained to you, that means attributes of God that he does not share with any other creatures. These are characteristics of God that belong to him alone. And so if the Holy Spirit possesses those incommunicable attributes of God, then he himself has to be God. So we have learned that he is omnipotent, he is omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is immutable, and he is eternal. So he's not a force. A force has to be created, but the Holy Spirit was never created. As God is, so is the Holy Spirit. As God was, so was the Holy Spirit. As God will be, so will be the Holy Spirit. And so we do worship him because he is God. So we've learned those two important characteristics, that he is a person and also he is God. Now, I want to move on a little bit further in our study tonight and delve a little bit more into that question, who is the Holy Spirit? And this next part that I want to talk to you about is going to take us a little bit more time to get through. Uh, It'll take actually several weeks to get through this because there's much that can be said on this particular uh, part of the Holy Spirit, uh, its activity and who he is. So thirdly, we're going to talk now about the Holy Spirit is God's agent. He is God's agent. And that means that it is the Holy Spirit, which is the medium through which God works. And if we could say that in another way, uh, I would say that as God deals with his creation, that it is the Holy Spirit that affects the work. That God works through the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he wants done in the world. Now, you can imagine if that's what he does, then God does so many things and God is controlling the whole universe, all of the world. So that means there are a lot of jobs that the Holy Spirit is responsible for. Now, we are earthly creatures, of course, and the Bible is given to us so that we can understand the way that God relates to humans. And so everything that we know about God, everything uh, that we learn about him must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Everything we touch, everything that we perceive, everything that we know correctly about who God is, that knowledge is disseminated to us from the Holy Trinity through the person of the Holy Spirit. So again, that means there, there will be a lot of ways, just a list of ways that the Holy Spirit is God's agent and that's why it's going to take us a while to get through this. And then after I'm through telling you what I'm going to tell you, you're still not going to know everything there is to know because I can't tell you everything. Contrary to everyone's belief in this church, I just don't know everything, uh, even though you think that I do. So uh, we'll, we'll say as much as we can, and we'll deal with that. And there's some mysteries, of course, that we won't be able to tackle at all. But we are going to learn something about the agency of the Holy Spirit. 
So if we're going to talk about such a vast subject, where is the best place to start? Well, the best place to start is the starting place, or as Genesis says, in the beginning. So let's go back to the beginning, and here is where we learn that the Holy Spirit is God's agent in creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, verse number 2 sets the stage for the creation that follows. So we don't stop with verse number 2 and end the Holy Spirit's work in that verse, but that's actually the beginning of what the Holy Spirit did to bring order to this universe. And when God created the world, I think that it's clear to us there in Genesis 1 and 2 that uh, the world was, as it says, without form and void. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who took this, this mass, this, conglom- this conglomeration, and he brought this beautiful world of life out of that chaotic mass. The psalmist said, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now we notice those words, the breath of his mouth, and that actually refers to the Holy Spirit. He is the breath of God. And that same concept is found in the New Testament in the word pneuma, which in the New Testament is translated as spirit. And that's the same word from which we get pneumonia. And pneumonia has to do with your lungs. It has to do with breathing. And so the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. And that verse in Psalms says that all the hosts of heaven, all of heaven and all the hosts of heaven, that means the angels, all that God created there, all of that was made through God's breath or the work of the Holy Spirit. We also learn in Genesis chapter 2 verse number 7 that man was created through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God breathed into man the breath of life. And there again, that's referring to the Holy Spirit as the breath. And that's further explained to us in Job 33 verse 4 where it says, The Spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So not only was the Holy Spirit the agent in creation, but he's also the agent by which the creation is maintained. This world operates, it keeps going through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the maintainer and also the sustainer of all life that's on the earth. In the book of Psalms 104 it says, Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, and they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. So we see that, contrary to the scientific opinions today, it is the Holy Spirit who created all things. R.A. Torrey said this, and if you don't know who R.A. Torrey is, he lived back in the early part of the 20th century, and he was one of the ones that was instrumental in... Uh, fighting against the, uh, arg- or arguing against the, the uh, modernist movement that said that the scriptures were not inerrant. And so that's one of the cheap things that they argued about in that particular time. So R.A. Torrey uh, wrote uh, The Fundamentals and a book on The Fundamentals. And he made this comment about creation. He said, here again, it is through the agency of the breath of God that a higher thing, human life, comes into being. 
Naturally, as the Bible is the history of man's redemption, it does not dwell upon this phase of truth, but seemingly each new and higher impartation of the Spirit of God brings forth a higher order of being. First, inert matter, then motion, then light, then vegetable life, then animal life, then man, and then the new man, and then Jesus Christ, the supreme man, the completion of God's thought of man, the son of man. This is the biblical thought of development from the lower to the higher by the agency of the Spirit of God as distinguished from the godless evolution that has been so popular. So how was life formed? It formed from the lower to the higher by the Spirit of God. It was created by God, by the Holy Spirit. Now some of you, if you've done a lot of Bible reading and you've tried to compare different scriptures that you'll probably note at this point that there is or seems to be a contradiction in scripture because there are places of scripture where it says that it was Jesus Christ that actually created the world in Colossians chapter 1 verse number 16 it says for by him speaking of Jesus for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him so what are we going to do with a verse like that we've just said the Holy Spirit is the one who created life Colossians says that it was Jesus Christ that created life. And then you can go to other scriptures where it says that it was the Father that created life. So what are we going to do with that? Does that mean that the Bible is in error? Are there actually contradictions in the Bible? Well, not actually. What we have is just another indication of the Trinity, the three in one, that all three persons of the Godhead are one in essence and they are one in purpose and will. So all three are involved. The Father creates in Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So who is he then? He's God's agent in the creation and the sustaining of all life. Now next we would look at this particular aspect of his agency. He is also the agent in the ministry of Christ. And this is really one of the most outstanding features of the Holy Spirit's work, that Jesus Christ, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, was dependent upon the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Now, before we even get into that question, we just have to consider this, that if Jesus himself, the Son of God, was dependent upon what the Holy Spirit did through him, how much more are all of us dependent upon the Spirit's work? We must depend upon him. If Christ depended upon him, we must depend upon on him as well. Well, we're, we're in the season of the year where uh, it's apparent. We, we sing about it. We've just sung about it a little while ago. And we talk about it all the time at this particular time of year that the Holy Spirit started in the life of Jesus Christ at his birth that we learn that it was the Holy Spirit that conceived the Son of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now remember the story how that Joseph was just exceedingly troubled when he found out that Mary was pregnant. The Bible says that he was a just man and he was a good man. And Joseph, well, a really a remarkable man, but uh, he, he was not willing to make a public spectacle out of Mary. And he could have 
turned this thing into a public matter. He could have disgraced her if he'd wanted to do that. In fact, the law said that he could take her and uh, before the, the magistrates and they could pass sentence upon her. But Joseph was not willing to do that. And so instead, the Bible says that he put her away privately, trying to keep it a private matter. And then Joseph was going to end the engagement discreetly. But it was then that the angel Gabriel appeared to him, and in Matthew chapter 1 it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, it's a great topic to talk about this time of year. Nearing Christmas, it's a good topic for us. Jesus was virgin born, and that was a miracle. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in order to preserve him from the sinful Adamic nature. Now, if you wonder why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin, that's your reason. And that's because if he had been born of man, then the sinful nature of man, the Adamic nature, would have been passed on to Jesus. So he couldn't be born of man, he had to be born sinlessly. And he had to be born by the Spirit of God. So he didn't have a human father. He had God as his father. The only way that he could save people from their sins was he needed to remain sinless. And we'll talk about that thought again in just a moment here if you'll hold on to that. Uh, Several times in the past few years and talking about the virgin birth and I I do believe if I remember last Christmas uh, I think I preached two or three sermons on the virgin birth and we concentrated quite a bit on it Uh, but the words of a college professor that taught my dad came always come to my mind when we talk about the virgin birth Uh, there was a college professor by the name of C.D. Stevens and um He's been dead for quite some time. He died when I was young, lived up the street from us, and I just barely remember him. But he was a great Bible teacher, and he had this statement that he would always say when he talked about the virgin birth of Christ. He said, God immensity packed himself into the minute cell of a Galilean virgin. Well, also, God immensity packed himself into the supernatural sperm that impregnated the Virgin Mary. He was born of the Holy Spirit. His physical life began through the operation of the Holy Spirit. But that's not all that we learn about the life of Jesus and his association with the Spirit. We also learn that it was by the Spirit that Jesus began to learn and to grow. Luke chapter 2 tells us that after Jesus was dedicated at the temple, that his parents returned to Nazareth, and then the Holy Spirit became the instructor became the one who helped him to grow and learn the things of God. In Luke 2.40 it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now I only have to ask you one simple question. If he grew in strong in spirit, what spirit is that? What spirit does Jesus have? 
Well, the only spirit he has is the spirit of God. So he grew in the Holy Spirit. He grew in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And then we also learned that when he was only 12 years old, that he knew so much. He'd learned so much in that period of time that he confounded the priest in the temple. When Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem for Passover, they observed the Passover. Then they got ready and left to go home. But they didn't realize that they'd left Jesus behind in Jerusalem. And they went back to look for him. And I don't know how long it took him to find him, but they went to the temple. And I kind of suspected they might have thought that's where he would be. Because Jesus must have shown some great propensity towards learning. So the place to go would be to the temple. So they went to the temple and they found him. And there he was discussing with these erudite doctors of the law all these great theological matters, just talking to them, asking questions, and they're asking him questions. And they were simply astounded at the knowledge that Jesus had. Where did he get all that knowledge? Now, usually you don't find 12-year-old boys that have great theological knowledge. So Jesus had to get it from somewhere, and he didn't get it in Jerusalem because he didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Nazareth. So where did he get it? Well, the Holy Spirit was feeding his mind, and Jesus was reading Scripture, and the Holy Spirit was working in his life, and he was growing, and he was learning, and he was getting stronger and stronger in the things of God. So he was taught by the Holy Spirit. And he grew into that man that so confounded the scribes and the Pharisees That when they came to argue with him, they said, we can't do anything with him. We can't argue with him. They just gave up arguing with him. That's because his knowledge of Scripture put all the best doctors of the law in Israel to shame. And then we can follow Jesus through his ministry. And we find that in the inauguration of it and in the preparation for it, that the Holy Spirit was also there. The inauguration of his spirit was when? or his ministry rather, when was that? That was when he was baptized. And remember what happened when he was baptized? God the Father spoke from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. And that was the Holy Spirit sanctioning the ministry of Jesus Christ. Immediately after that, he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. And it was the Holy Spirit that sustained him in the temptation that the devil threw against him. The Spirit was the source of strength that preserved that absolute sinless character. When Jesus was at the very weakest moment, you remember he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights without food. At his weakest moment, it was the Holy Spirit that came and sustained him and enabled him to resist the temptations of Satan. So he had to remain sinless or he could not be our Savior. And an interesting thing about that, I, I think, is that Jesus was able to maintain that sinless character because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was given to him without measure. Well, that means he wasn't like an ordinary man. Now, we talk about gifts of the Spirit. Um, you may have certain gifts of the Spirit, various gifts that God gives to his servants to work in the church. I have some Uh, You may have more than one. I don't know what your gifts of the Spirit are, but we have differing gifts. Someone asked me the other day if I did much counseling, and I said, well, I counsel occasionally. 
Uh, that's part of a pastor's job that you have to counsel with people, but I don't by any means consider that counseling is my strongest gift. I feel like the Lord has called me more into the teaching area, and so that's where I like to concentrate. And so I feel like that's my greatest gift. But when you talk about the ministry of Jesus... Now, we, we have all these differing gifts of the Spirit. We're gonna, that's going to be one of the topics that we're going to deal with as we work through this uh, thing with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus did not have one or two gifts. It wasn't like he was really strong in some areas but weak in other areas. Not at all. Jesus had all the gifts of the Spirit in the fullest measure. Uh, he, had, he was filled up with the Spirit of God, the greatest capacity... And then further, the Holy Spirit was always present with Jesus in his preaching and his healing ministry. In the book of Luke, it speaks of the Spirit when Jesus was in the synagogue of Nazareth. And and there he was, and he was given the book of the law to read, and uh, given the prophets to read, rather. And he was handed the book of Isaiah, and he began to read there. And the place that he picked was significant. It says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Just a marvelous thing about Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit was always present with him. So all throughout his ministry, there was the Holy Spirit helping him, strengthening him. All through those long days, hard days of doing God's work in the world, the Holy Spirit was there with him. And then finally, in his ministry, it was the Holy Spirit that was with him in the garden tomb. Now, Jesus was taken to the tomb to be buried, and for three days and three nights, his body remained there lifeless. Take a quick guess how that Jesus came back to life. How was he raised from the dead? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 8. He says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now again, just more outstanding scripture that really contains the hope of all believers. He says, if that same spirit is in you that raised up Jesus from the dead, then you also will be raised into immortal life. And that's good for all believers. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the one that conceived Jesus in the womb. He's the one who sustained him in the temptation. He's the one who succored him in his ministry. He's the one who raised him from the dead. And he is the same Spirit that will raise our bodies to immortality. So he is the agent in the ministry of creation, and he is the agent in the ministry of Christ. Now we have a few minutes left, so I'm going to give you one more for this evening. Thirdly, he is the agent in the ministry of the canon. He's the agent in the ministry of the canon. And there I'm talking about the canon of Holy Scripture. Canon means the measuring rod. The Scriptures are the fundamental by which all truth is measured. Now, Scripture contains all truth. All truth is God's truth. And anything that is contrary to the Holy Scriptures is untrue. 
Well, how did we get the Holy Scriptures? I mean, we, we have this special book that we read every Sunday, and we say this is our rule of faith and practice. Where did we get these Holy Scriptures? Well, what the Holy Spirit did was to inspire certain men, and they wrote down the words that God would have them to write. Now, man doesn't truly know God except by what we read in the Scriptures. Now, the Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, you can go out at night and you see the evidence that God exists. The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, the firmament, the word of God also says, declare, declare God, declares God's handiwork. Jesus even said that. He said, if you don't tell people about me, he said, the stones would cry out. I mean, there is so much evidence that God is real and that Jesus is real. The Bible is true that even the stones would cry out if we won't tell people about it. But what we don't learn is about the personal nature of God. We don't learn how we can have a relationship with God by looking at stars. We, we can't go out and look at the sun and look at the moon and look at all the things that God has created and find out who the personal God is. We can't look at our own bodies and see how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and from that understand how to have a relationship with God. The only way that we can know how to actually come into a close relationship with this almighty being that's created all things is by what we read in the word of God. That's where the intimate knowledge of God comes from. So the Bible teaches that the one who gave us all of that information that put it down into the book for us is the Holy Spirit. And you know why it's so important that it is the Holy Spirit that did this? Well, it's because if man had written scripture, if these were the thoughts of men, if, we, if men just wrote down their opinions of things and that's all that it was, then those opinions would not be infallible. There's not a person here or anywhere that's ever lived that's infallible except Jesus Christ. And so if men had read script, wrote in, written scripture, we would have a fallible book. Well, that's a problem for us because the scriptures have to be inerrant. They come from the omniscient mind of God, and we've learned that about the Holy Spirit, that he is omniscient. He is the author of Scripture. As Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then Paul wrote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now do you see what the Bible says there? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration is theopneustos. Theo, the first part of that means God. The other part comes from pneuma that we just learned a moment ago, stands for means breath. So that literally means God breathe. The scriptures are God breathe. So the Holy Spirit is the breath of God that inspired all of the scripture. So how do we know it's true? Because God wrote it. God used men. He used the personality of men. He used the writing styles of men. But the words that they wrote were the words of God. And we have a direct illustration of that in Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, 
and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. In the 19th verse, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So John was in the Spirit, and he was spoken to by Christ, and he was told to write down what he saw. And how did he write that down? Well, he wrote it down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me give you two more thoughts when we're done for tonight. The first one is that it was necessary for the Holy Spirit to write the words of Scripture so that they would be infallible and uninfluenced by the sinfulness of man. And that's necessary because what we've read or what we read in Scripture, that it is by the Word of God that we're born again. And we can't be born again by the Scriptures if the Scriptures are corrupt. The Bible describes Jesus as being the living Word. And as the living Word, Jesus Christ could not be corrupt. The written Word, the written Word itself also cannot be corrupt because the Bible says it is through that written Word that we're actually born again. So the thing that brings us into spiritual life cannot be corruptible. Now, again, listening to the Apostle Peter, he said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the Holy Spirit is the one who preserves the word When Jesus instructed the disciples on the night before his death, he said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who kept the words of Christ alive so that they could be written. And what he's done throughout all of this time is to protect the word from being polluted and destroyed. Now, what Satan knows is that the best way to keep people blinded to the truth, to keep them away from salvation, to keep them out of heaven, is to corrupt the Word of God. And so what he does is he tries myriads of ways of doing that. One of those ways is just putting lying words into mouths of preachers. Uh, Maybe you hadn't thought about this, but the greatest class of liars in the world is preachers. That's the greatest class. I mean, there's more lying preachers than there is any other group of people in the world because Satan has his liars to deceive people and lead them away from the truth of the word. But besides that, the, the, the devil has many other ways of working. He has spurious works that he puts out there, and he says these are actually the word of God. For instance, the Book of Mormon. And they claim to have another testament. They say, God said this. But God didn't say that. That's the devil's work. Then you have uh, the Mormons also have their doctrines of, uh, and covenants. And those things, they say, are inspired. There are many false translations of Scripture, like the New World Translation of the Jehovah Witnesses. They also claim that their watchtower is inspired. But those things aren't the word of God. That's the work of the devil. Then you have many people uh, among the charismatics that say or they pervert the 
the revelation of God by saying that they actually receive new revelation from God today. So it's not just what we read in the Bible. If you find something else or the Holy Spirit may come to you, he may speak directly something to you that's not even in the Word of God. He may give you a completely new revelation. Well, we don't believe that because the Word of God, I think, clearly teaches that when the last part of the Bible was penned, that's all of the revelation that we have. We don't need any more revelation. God's told us everything that we need to know in his book. And as long as there is other revelation, or if there is other revelation, then anybody can say, I've received a word from God. And who are we to believe? Well, the only thing we can believe is what came down to us to us by the preservation of the Holy Spirit through antiquity, through the history of the church. So this is what the Holy Spirit did. He preserved God's word through 2,000 years of church history so that we come down today and we have accurate translations of what the Holy Spirit said. Now, of course, there are many Bibles that are not accurate translations of Scripture. Those have been perverted. Uh, we, we believe that we can have confidence in reading the King James Version, that it is accurately the Word of God. And is it necessary that we do have the accurate Word? Well, absolutely it is, because if we're born again by the Word of God, we can only be born again by the truth. Well, one other point to consider on this. The Holy Spirit is the agent in the ministry in the canon or the Word, but it's also necessary that the Holy Spirit illumine our minds to the Word. Now, there are millions of Bibles that are printed every year. Bibles go out all over the world. Um, Many, many people have thousands, I mean, millions of Bibles that are printed. But that doesn't mean that every person that owns a Bible understands what it means. Now, to many people, the Bible is their heirloom. Grandma passed it down to them. So it's got the family tree in it. They press their flowers in it. They keep their mementos in it, and that's what the Bible is to them. So they haven't read the Bible, and even if they did, they wouldn't understand it. So do you know why that every person that owns a Bible is not saved? Why isn't everybody that owns a Bible saved? I mean, after all, we're talking about the book that has the power of salvation, doesn't it? This is the book that leads us, guides us into the salvation of Jesus Christ. So why don't you just own a Bible and you're saved because you own a Bible? Well, it's because it takes more than that. See, the Bible is the power of God into salvation. He uses the Bible to lead us into the paths of righteousness. But a Bible that's unread and misunderstood doesn't do anyone any good. And so the Bible has, has the power of life when it becomes energized by the Holy Spirit when the word of God is a sword used by an unseen hand that cuts and divides the joints and the marrow, then we're getting down to the Holy Spirit working through the word of God and illumining people's minds to the truth. So who is it that ministers all of that understanding of what the Bible actually means? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates our minds to the truth and gives us understanding. Paul says in 1 Corinthians... Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So the Holy Spirit then ministers that word to the heart of the hearer. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's the one that opens your heart to the gospel. 
If you get saved, it's because the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart to enable you to understand what Jesus did for you. And this is why there are so many people that come to church and they just walk out, they walk away from it, never believing in Jesus Christ. It's because the Holy Spirit has not operated in the heart to give them the understanding of what the Word of God means. So, you can understand the Bible, but it takes the Holy Spirit to show it to you. That's one of his peculiar ministries. So you see then how extensive and essential that the Holy Spirit's work is. And next week, when we come back to the subject again, I'm going to deal more with that particular part of the Holy Spirit's work and just opening up a person's heart and how he does it, how the Holy Spirit works in our heart to show us the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So all the work that God does in the world at this present time is done through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the agent. He's the agent of the work of the Father in creation. He's the agent of the work of Jesus Christ in redemption. And he's the work or the agent in understanding the Holy Scriptures. That's how salvation becomes effectual to the heart. So who is he? Well, by the time that we're finished, I hope that nobody's going to go out here and say, well, we don't know if there even is a Holy Spirit. We're going to learn something about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for this wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit, that great promise that Jesus gave that he would send the Spirit into the world, the Spirit of Christ to live in us every day. What a, what a great promise that is. Help us to learn about this and understand it better. We know that we need your Spirit to carry out our daily living as Christians. So the better that we know the Spirit, the better we're able to obey your perfect will. Help us to do that, Lord. Bless us in this time that we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.